Welcome to Doc Talk, presented by Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall. I'm Melanie Cole, and today we're discussing the anterior approach to hip replacement. Joining me is Dr. Kenneth Rauschenbach. He's board-certified orthopedic surgeon at Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall. Dr. Rauschenbach, it's a pleasure to have you on again today. Tell us first what types of conditions cause the hip joint to break down. What do you see most commonly? The most common reason for hip destruction and breakdown is osteoarthritis of the hip. That's the most common type of arthritis. It's typically noted as the wear and tear, and we all get it. And it comes from a combination of factors of age, injury, how much uh, beating we put on our body over the years. And we all have it to a certain degree, and it progresses over time. What's the first line of defense? I mean, obviously, hip replacement is not the first thing we try. So what do you try first? Certainly not. Hip replacement is always a last resort. Typically, uh, activity modification, weight loss, followed by a uh, combination of therapies, which can include anti-inflammatory medication, injections, other types of uh, non-invasive therapy. And we take these on a stepwise approach until nothing works. And at that point, then we start to consider surgical intervention. So then let's talk about the surgical intervention. Tell us the different types of hip replacement that are available and then discuss the anterior approach for us and why you would choose this approach. There's many approaches available. The old saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat. This really applies to the hip replacement. Um, Hip replacements have been being placed for many, many years. The most traditional and typical approach is the posterior approach. It's probably done still more than 50% of the time in the United States. Uh, It's very reliable, um, reproducible. It has some mild shortcomings, meaning that the uh, patient would have to follow some dislocation precautions for a lifetime. Uh, Although rare, um, because we disrupt the posterior soft tissues, uh, there's a potential for dislocation of the hip. There is an anterior lateral approach, and honestly, uh, I could come up with about five or six more approaches. But typically, the anterior lateral, the posterior approach have been the uh, workhorses of hip replacement over the last 30 years. These newer approaches, um, some have come and gone due to uh, issues with them. But this uh, new anterior approach has been going on about 10 years and has made quite a bit of headway in the uh, mainstream orthopedic community. Tell us why. What's different about the anterior approach? The nice part of the anterior approach is that it's a muscle-sparing approach. Um, At no point do we have to detach any of the muscles, uh, which we do in the other approaches. By doing that, you know, we maintain the soft tissue envelope around the hip and uh, provide extra stability. It's also nice. It's through a very limited incision, and the uh, rehab uh, seems to be a little bit quicker than the other approaches, again, due to that uh, lack of need to remove that uh, tenderness attachment to the bone. Are all hip replacement patients candidate for this type approach? There are some surgeons in the United States that do this on a uh, come-all basis. Um, in my hands and in many people's hands, this is limited to a uh, certain body habitus. Um, because it's a, a very limited approach, meaning uh, there's only a small window to get in there, some are the heavy set people. Morbid obesity, uh, big strong men with big giant muscles are not a great candidate uh, due to the limited access. This is not an extensile approach where we can extend the incision and make it bigger to get better view because of the uh, limitations of the anatomy. 
That's so interesting, and what a great explanation. So why don't all doctors do hip replacement this way? You just mentioned that some people are not candidates, but not everybody's doing this. Is there a learning curve? Is this an experienced physician thing to do? Actually, more of the physicians that are doing it are the younger physicians who uh, essentially trained in it on their way up. As we come up with these new techniques, the older physicians are set in their ways a lot of the times, and unless there's a a massive change in results. A lot of doctors are very happy to stick with what's been working with them for years. I still do approximately a 60% posterior approach compared to the 40% anterior approach due to the uh, limitations we spoke about earlier. But a lot of older doctors who are experienced in multiple approaches have, you know, adapted the anterior approach due to its benefits. There's definitely a learning curve. Um, you know, typically when I first started doing these four or five years ago, my typical surgical time for a posterior approach would be about 45 minutes to an hour. Once I did this anterior approach, again, because I was learning it as I went, I attended classes and went to cadaver labs, it added about 20 minutes to my procedure. It was well worth it, and uh, I've been happy with it. And uh, since then, it has really come down to be about the same time frame as my posterior approach. Wow. So you've told us about the benefits and about the patient selection criteria. What about post-surgery and recovery? Is this much quicker and how long generally? What's the difference between post-surgical recovery for the posterior approach and the anterior approach? Well, that's really what got me interested in this. Uh, I've been, you know, really impressed with how quickly these patients back down and uh, for a uh, fair amount of patients now, this is becoming same-day surgery um, compared to the posterior approach, which isn't longer by that much. It's usually an overnight stay, to be honest with you. I just find that they bounce back a lot quicker, get back to that normal gait and with uh, less pain. We've also noticed limited opioid use with this because of the you know pain difference that... Um, I've noticed in my practice and has been, you know, borne out in the literature as well. So between the uh, quicker recovery, less pain, less use of narcotics, which we, as we all know is a, is a problem in the United States this time, I think it's got excellent advantages, uh, again, if you're a good candidate for the procedure. What a great point about pain management after the procedure. That's so important. Wrap it up for us. What would you like patients that are considering hip replacement to know about the anterior approach and how you can help them at Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall? Well, I believe the anterior approach is uh, just more tools in my toolbox. Um, Not every patient is a candidate for it. I do think if you are a candidate for it, it's an excellent choice. Um, I think it'll give you a slightly quicker recovery, a little less pain, and not having the burden of those dislocation precautions going forward. I would also say that the surgeon you're seeing, trust the doctor that speaks to you. Um, I wouldn't insist on any particular approach as the layperson or the patient. Do your research, and uh, if it's something you're really interested in, find someone that does that approach. But uh, by all means, don't uh, look down on the other approaches. They've been working great for years. They gave us a uh, really nice result and good longevity as well. And now before we wrap up, give us your best advice about keeping healthy hips so maybe we don't need a replacement. Well, the most important thing is 
One, um, be active. That means keep the muscles strong. It doesn't have to be high-impact exercise, even light walking, low-impact biking, uh, slight jogging, stuff like that. Keep your weight down. That's super important. The more weight your body has to bear, um, the more degeneration at these uh, hips, knees, all of our joints uh, take the beating, and that wear and tear can lead to earlier arthritic changes. A healthy diet is super important. And again, once you start experiencing symptoms, don't wait so long that there's no other options besides the joint replacement. Go see your doctor. They'll evaluate you, do a good history and physical, and of course, treat you with the most conservative options until they no longer work, and then you're a candidate for something surgical. Thank you so much, Dr. Rauschenbach. It's great information and so important. Thank you very much for joining us and sharing your expertise. That concludes this episode of Doc Talk, presented by Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall. Please visit our website at montefiorslc.org for more information and to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other Montefiore St. Luke's Cornwall podcasts. I'm Melanie Cole. 